G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. I'm going to take you to a passage that is so hard. As a matter of fact, there is no passage in the book of Matthew that has given theologians more difficulty. And usually I find that when there's a passage like that, if you can get to the bottom of it, a great truth comes out. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. One truth that will be delivered in love and compassion, connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. You make me Today. Today. Today with Jeff Fines. Hello, my name is Bill, and welcome to Today with Jeff Fines. In today's message from the Blessed Life series, we'll hear about what Pastor Jeff calls a major player in living the blessed life. He's sharing with us from Matthew chapter 15, verse 21, about the faith of a Canaanite woman. Jesus repeats things over and over in different ways in order for the disciples to understand things. And Pastor Jeff hopes that through this message, you understand it too. Matthew chapter 15, verse 21, Matthew 15, 21. We're going to revisit a passage While you're doing that, I want you to have a look. This is my favorite poster right here of all time. I saw this when I went into a doctor's office probably 10, 15 years ago. This is an actual poster that you'd find in a doctor's office. First time I saw that, I laughed so hard. It took me a while to get it. I was like, man, that is so true, isn't it? If we only knew what babies were thinking when they see that thermometer come out. Now, the reason I like this is because for me, this is somewhat of a comparison to what most people think when they start reading the Bible. Uh, and the thought you have then when you see what Jesus requires or, or the way that he calls us to live our lives, there's a part of us that would say, well, you want me to do what and when? It may not be stick what, where, but there's a place. You want me to do what, when? For instance, when he says, turn the other cheek. Now that's good in theory, isn't it? But you think about the, the maliciousness and the slander with which most people operate in the workplace. And then he tells you to turn the other cheek, man. That's hardcore, isn't it? Uh, love your neighbor. What about that one? I mean, it's, that's all well and good in theory, but pragmatically working that out, you know, when you're asked to do that, when your neighbor gets up at 6 a.m. on a Saturday morning, runs a leaf blower, that's a whole different issue, isn't it? It's one thing to know it in theory. It's another thing to actually work it out in practice. As a matter of fact, I remember, uh, this must be 15, 20 years ago at least, I did a sermon on Mother's Day called Loving Your Mother-in-Law. And there was a guy on the front row that was shaking his head during the whole time of the sermon. And he came up to me after the sermon. And he said, Jeff, you got no idea what my mother-in-law is like. And I said, well, I don't have to. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. He said, well, Jesus has no idea what my mother-in-law is like. 
And I said, I, I have a pretty good idea. Jesus knows what your mother-in-law is like. And he says, you don't, you don't understand. And then he told me this. And, I, and some of you will get it, some of you won't. But he said, you don't understand. My mother-in-law has the face that would make a train take a dirt road. And I... <laughs> And evidently, his, he said, you got no idea what I've been through. And for me to forgive her, you just got no idea. Think about it. Radical generosity. Isn't that so unnatural? Jesus says, I want you to be radical, radically generous with your stuff. That's not natural for us. We want to stockpile, keep, and hoard. And we talked about that the first three messages in this series. Jesus simply asked us to do things that are not natural. Think about it. Wait till you're married to have sex. That's about as unnatural as it gets right there. And especially in today's world, when we want to be autonomous, we want to take the good things we like of the Bible and we want to leave the things we don't like in there and live to what we consider to be the moral standard, but not, definitely not Jesus' moral standard. You see where I'm going with this? It, his things are not natural. They're supernatural. Now, here's what I've noticed about Jesus, and here's why we're talking about this today. Uh, I'm going to take you to a passage that is so hard. As a matter of fact, there is no passage in the book of Matthew that has given theologians more difficulty. And usually I find that when there's a passage like that, if you can get to the bottom of it, a great truth comes out. So Jesus, when he wants to communicate something to the disciples and they're just not getting it, you know what he does? He just keeps repeating it over and over and over and over again. If you look at the parables he tells, he tells parables in sections, like he'll tell three parables back to back to back, and they'll all mean the same thing. It's just a different way of communicating them. Why does he do that? I'm assuming that he looks in the disciples' eyes and he says, you, got, you dudes aren't getting this. All right, let me tell you another one. You still don't get it, do you? All right, let me tell you another one. And anything that's really important to Jesus for the disciples to get, he repeats it over and over and over. Now, I'm taking you to this passage for two reasons. Number one, until you get what this passage is about, you're never going to get our church. So you'll be here, but in some respect, you'll still be on the outside looking in. If you really want to know what we're about, what drives us, what makes our heart beat a little faster, what makes the blood pump through our veins, what makes me tick, it's this passage right here. You've heard of people having life verses. This is a life passage for me. The second reason is, is because this is a major player in the blessed life. According to the scripture, if you get this right and you carry it through to its fullest conclusions, you're going to truly know what it is to be blessed. Now, there are other things we've talked about. You're going to receive the blessed life through those things too, but this is a major player in the blessed life. So I want to take you to the story. It's in Matthew chapter 15. It starts in verse 21. He's given theologians trouble for years. Here's how it starts. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now, for those of you who like expository teaching, you're going to get a little bit of it today. That's the first verse. Let me tell you a little bit about Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon are two cities upon the Mediterranean coast, Phoenician cities. It is the place where you go for R&R, okay? It's, the, it's uh, Jesus and the disciples in Newport Beach or Big Bear or uh, probably not Las Vegas. Actually, it probably would be Las Vegas or something like Palm Springs. This is where Jesus goes. And it's hard for us to imagine this, but do you know even Jesus got weary of people? You ever get weary of people and just want to get away from people? Just people? Hard to do in the state of California, isn't it? But it, it, Jesus had times in his ministry, in his life, with the disciples. He was a little bit weary. This is not the only time he did this. He did this quite a few times. He would take them up to this region. It is modern-day Lebanon, which looks something like this. Beautiful, beautiful place. And he'd go up there because he wanted some rest and relaxation. But here's the problem, something you need to know. This is also the place where the disciples 
Uh, and every one of, of uh, Jesus' followers, uh, most of Israel, believed that the people who lived up in this region, they were so far from God that there'd be no use in going telling them any good news. They were so far from God, they could not be reached. These were Samaritans. These were Canaanites. These were people who were so far from God, they could never come near to God. Now, the Bible tells us, as a matter of fact, Josephus, a first century historian, a Jewish historian, said, the people of Tyre and Sidon are our bitterest enemies. So you have to understand how the disciples look at people from this region. So the reason Jesus goes up there and puts on his hat and sunglasses to try to be uh, incognito is because these are people that are not looking for a Messiah. They're not looking for a rabbi. So this is a place he can go and not be recognized. Now, the next verse tells us something interesting. It tells us a woman comes to him. And the Bible says that it was a woman of Cana, uh, came from that region, the region of Tyre and Sidon, cried out to him saying, Lord, have mercy on me. Uh, Son of David, my daughter is demon-possessed. In other words, would you come and help me? Now, let's look at a few things there quickly. First of all, when she comes to Jesus, she has two things against her and she knows it. One, she's a woman. Before Jesus... Women were secondary citizens. I keep reminding you that it's Jesus and the Christ movement that brought equality to all people. Before Jesus and the spread of the church to the Roman Empire, women were second-rate citizens. Jesus comes along and says, no, 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 no. We are all equal in essence, folks. There's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free. We are all one in Christ Jesus. Before Jesus, that thing didn't exist. So you're living out today in equality of men and women basically of what happened all the way back to the Christ movement. Before the Christ movement, however, and in the mind of the disciples, they, see, they still see women, and especially women from Canaan, as second-rate riffraff. And so when the woman comes to Jesus, the disciples are not going to be so welcoming or hospitable. And the woman cries out to Jesus in the traditional cry of a beggar. She says, oh, Lord, have mercy on me. Traditional cry. She's a beggar. She wants to let Jesus know right away. She knows she has no right to be there. She's a beggar. Please, there's something I need from you. But the thing that frustrates scholars is she calls him son of David. That's a messianic term. How does she know that? She's from Tyre and Sidon. She's not a Jew. She doesn't understand the whole messianic term, but she calls Jesus. It's almost like she knows something about Jesus that even the disciples don't know. This is the Messiah, the son of David. And then she says, I have a daughter who is demon possessed. The actual language refers to someone who's having epileptic seizures. Okay. She's sick. Now, Guess how Jesus responds to her. The Bible says in the next verse, and he answered her not a word. Jesus ignores her. The actual language is that of turning your face away. Now, you don't find this in any other passage in the Bible. A lady who is hurting, she's desperate. She comes to Jesus. She begs him, please help me. My daughter is going to die And you know that a mother would do whatever it takes if it meant that she could save her child. And the Bible says, in no uncertain terms, Jesus turns away, ignores her. In no uncertain terms, Jesus turns away, ignores her. The disciples speak, next verse. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, send her away, for she cries out after us. These disciples are a mountain of compassion, aren't they? (laughs) Jesus. Send her away. She cries out after us. Notice the grandiosity of this statement. Cries out after us. Are they after us? Are they after Jesus? It's kind of like what's happening with Dodger fans right now. You know, a month ago, I hate the Dodgers. Now it's like, 
Hey, did you see what we did last week? We beat the Padres. What do you mean we? A month ago, you hated them. Because everybody wants to be on the bandwagon of something that's successful. So the disciples say, she cries out after us, Jesus. She wants our help. Send her away. What does Jesus do? Next verse. Jesus says, well, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So first, he ignores her. Second, he says this. I was not sent for her kind. First, he ignores her. Had you been a disciple, I would like to think that you would have said, whoa, whoa, gee, way. Four chapters earlier, you said that the great banquet table representing the kingdom of heaven, that there would be people from the east and the west. Now, that doesn't mean much to you and me, but to them, it meant the east is the civilized world. And anytime you read the west in the Bible, it's the uncivilized barbaric world. So the people who lived in the barbaric world, the uncivilized, those were the people that were so far from God, they could never find their way home. But Jesus said just four chapters earlier, I'm telling you, you got it wrong. That on the day of the great banquet, when heaven descends and Christ claims his kingdom, there are going to be people both from the East and the West. People you thought were so far from God, there's no way they can never find their way back. I'm telling you, they're going to be around the banquet table. And what about the Roman centurion? Those guys have ruled Jerusalem with an iron fist and you healed his son. Some people say it's a servant, but the word actually means son. He came to you asking to heal his son. You didn't even bother going to his house. You transcended the distance. You did a great miracle for the Romans and they persecute. They're from the West. What do you mean you were sent only for the house of Israel? But the disciples don't do that. They kind of say, yeah, that's right. Send this Gentile female riffraff away. Now, she hears what Jesus says, I'm assuming. And then she says, the Bible, rather, she came and worshiped him saying, Lord, help me. The Greek word is proskuneo. It means that she got down on her knees and kissed his feet. Please, she said, please help me. Now, just when you thought it couldn't get any worse, Jesus first ignores her. And then Jesus says, I'm not sent for your kind. You know what he does next? Verse 26. He says, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now he calls her a dog, which is the worst insult you could ever be called first century culture. It's, the, it's equal to saying, why would you take your pearls and cast them to the swine? Why would you take something so precious and valuable and give them to pigs? They wouldn't know how to use them or what to do with them. Jesus is saying, why would I give you a miracle? Why would I give you the bread? I mean, I'm powerful, but why would I even give you little morsels? Because... You don't know what to do with something so precious. Why would I take this bread and throw it to the dogs? First, he ignores her. Second, I wasn't sent for your kind. And third, I'm not going to give something valuable to dogs. Are you bothered yet? Good. What's going on here? When you study biblical narratives, you study the way rabbi teaches. And you learn different teaching methods. Jesus was much more about just dispensing information. And when the disciples didn't get something he was trying to teach them, he would give them a life experience rather than just dispense information. Think about it. There is a rabbi, a rabbinic teaching method called deliberately induced frustration. And it's when Jesus would put the disciples in a situation to see how they would respond. He told them to feed 5,000 people when they had no food. That's pretty frustrating. He told them to go out on a boat when he knew a storm was coming. It's pretty frustrating. What's he doing here? 
Some of your greatest times of learning, folks, happen when you're frustrated. My greatest type of learning, time of learning, came when somebody told me that you can't trust the Bible, Pastor Jeff, because it's been changed. Well, that set me on an eight-year journey to discover the truth that what you read today, according to Simon Greenleaf at Harvard University, and he's not even a believer, is 99.9% pure, an accurate representation of what was originally written. Because of the mountain of manuscripts we have that can be compared and contrasted. If you can't trust the Bible, folks, you can't trust any literary work of antiquity. Somebody told me once, how can you believe in God with evil in the world or suffering? That was the second work of tension that led to about a five-year journey. The point is, do you see what Jesus is doing here? He's looking at the disciples and he's saying, guys, you guys are so slow. When are you going to get it? that no one is so far from God, no one that they cannot be reached, no one, and that God loves everybody, all people. When are you going to get that? So they haven't gotten it. So he puts them in a situation to see how they'll respond. He's on vacation, but he's still thinking. And this lady comes and says, help me. And he ignores her in hopes that one of the disciples will stand, Jesus, what are you doing? This lady's hurting, man. This, this lady's got a, a daughter that's suffering and going to die, and you're just going to turn your face away? But they don't do it. They don't stand up for her. So Jesus gets a little bit more harsh. Next time he says, well, you guys know I was only sent for the house of Israel. And he's hoping, they want, what do you mean the house of that? Come on, you've helped everybody. You've helped the Roman centurion. You've said people will be around the banquet table from the east. What do you mean? But they don't do anything. They just say, send her away. She's bothering us. <laughs> It's almost like Jesus says, yeah, send her away, that Gentile female riffraff, but he doesn't. He doesn't send her away. He just keeps waiting. Then he's got to play hardball. She comes and worships him. So you can see this scene where she's just moving her tears and she's kissing the feet of Jesus. And he says, well, not good to throw the bread to the dogs. And hoping that one of the disciples will say, whoa, dude, wait a minute, Jesus, we don't like her either. But is it really necessary to call her a dog? I mean, come on. She just wants a little help. Pray for her. Send her on her way. Do this or send her whatever. But, but, but not this, Jesus. But none of them do. Now, as Jesus, what's amazing to me, Jesus gives the disciples a test, they flunk. He gives the woman a test, she passes with flying colors. Because even though Jesus, and I don't know if he's, is he, you know, is he winking at her? Stay with me. Is he, we don't know. We don't know, right? Because we're not there. I can only tell you what's in the passage. But also know a rule of thumb when interpreting the scripture is always interpret the unclear by what you know to be clear. So something's going on here, but we notice that even though Jesus is bantering with her, that he softens it a bit on the last part, because in the original language, here's how the next verse reads. But he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Some of your translations will say little dogs. Why? Because Jesus softens the blow a little bit for her and he uses the diminutive form for dog. So it's really little doggies. You with me? So he's going to call her a dog, but not really. He's going to say, okay, let me, let me just do this. And I can see him saying, just to see if the disciples will take up for her. But she's so clever in the banter back and forth with Jesus. She picks up on his use of the diminutive form of dog. And in her response, she says, yes, Lord, but even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. In the original language, it's written like this. Yes, Lord, but even the little doggies eat the little crummies which fall from the master's table. She picks up on that diminutive form. She goes, oh, I see what you're doing here, Jesus. You're trying to teach those boys a lesson. Okay, I'll go with you. 
I'll do it. If that's, if that's what it takes, I'll do it. But even, even the little doggies get the little crummies that fall from the master's table. I know who you are, Jesus. I know you're son of David. You're Messiah. I've read all about you. I've done my homework. I've been waiting for you to come back for a little rest and relaxation. I know what to do. I know what to say, and I know who you are. And I know that you've said that even people who are far away, we get the little crumbs. And even the little leftovers from your table is like a banquet to everybody else. Jesus is so impressed with her. He's had enough of the disciples. And he says in the next verse, he says, then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. It's the Greek word mega. You've heard of mega church, mega mall. This is mega faith. Great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Jesus said, okay, you're good. Woman, you're good. It's done. And then the disciples thinking, what's up? Now listen, so important. I want you to hear me. The first thing that you have to learn when you're a Christ follower is that we are to love all people. Now that's good in theory. It's like, it's one thing to read a book about having a baby. It's another thing to have a baby, right? How would you know, Pastor Jeff? Well, Again, my wife told me, (laughs) stay with me, please. I just got back from San Francisco. I was up there for three days. Uh, The World Leadership Alliance Committee that I'm serving on that I've talked about before. I was invited to the JFK 50th celebration. There were about a hundred and say anywhere between 130, 150 invited. It was by invitation only. I thought, wow, what's this got to do with this event? I sat on the back row. There was a panel on the stage. Now, it's important that you follow me here, folks, every step of the way. And don't walk out on me. Let me finish. Okay, let me finish. There was a panel on the stage. Uh, Condoleezza Rice was there. An ABC News reporter uh, was interviewing these people. Uh, There was the uh, CEO of Raytheon. There was a California Supreme Court judge. Boy, was she interesting. And there was another man that I don't know who it was. He was because they didn't really talk to him much. He said one thing and really, I can't remember them introducing him. So I, I, he was important. He was on the stage, but I have no idea who he was. The whole evening was about equality. And I really liked where the meeting was going at first because they were talking about how it's important in the state of California that we not discriminate uh, as employers when we are hiring that the most qualified person should get the job, that you shouldn't get the job just because of your skin color, or you shouldn't be denied the job just because of your skin color, or your faith, or your creed, or whatever it is. And I happen to agree with that. I thought, hey, this is really good. Segregation, discrimination are not godly things. And I thought, wow, this, I'm, I think I'm going to like this. And so they talked about uh, equality. And I, I, I think that that's a good, good thing. It wouldn't matter what I think. It's good in and of itself. But then it changed. In the middle was a guy that you'll probably recognize his name, Jason Collins, who uh, played college basketball at Stanford and then drafted by the Houston Rockets and has played for six, seven, eight NBA teams. He was celebrated a few months ago because he came out and said he was gay and he's playing in the NBA. 
And people went crazy about how awesome this was. And Condoleezza Rice was seated next to him. And I happen to be a Condoleezza Rice fan, but was disappointed in this move. She put her hand on his knee and said, I am so proud of you for what you did. Don't you walk out on me. Listen, let me finish. The whole theme of the night was equality is as old as the scriptures. That was the theme. When I heard it, I recognized that as a direct quote from guess who? John F. Kennedy. Equality is as old as the scriptures. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. Jesus says, I want you to be radically generous with your stuff. That's not natural for us. We want to stockpile, keep, and hoard. Jesus simply asks us to do things that are not natural. Think about it. Wait till you're married to have sex. That's about as unnatural as it gets right there. And especially in today's world, when we want to be autonomous, we want to take the good things we like of the Bible, and we want to leave the things we don't like in there and live to what we consider to be the moral standard. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.